Hello, everybody, and welcome. We're glad that you're with us. As we continue on in the study that we're doing, uh, it's really a study in the New Testament right now. We're in the book of Mark. We're going to be in the eighth chapter today. We've been working through a chapter at a time, and uh, um, hopefully you are learning something uh, every time that we get together, or at least we're raising some questions. We're doing something, I hope, um, that, that we can continue to press into. We're going to, um, it's not like, we've still got eight more chapters after today in Mark. But after the book of Mark, we're going to skip over the book of Luke. We're going to go do the book of John, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do Luke and Acts together in one long run. So, but we probably won't be done with all of that until the end of next year sometime. So I'm forecasting or something. We're putting it out there. So uh, that's where we're heading. But each of the Gospels, as we've talked about, was written to a different audience. Mark's Gospel was written to uh, the people in Rome. And they liked uh, power and authority. They were impressed by it. And so uh, the, the Gospel is written uh, to sort of attract those people to the good news. And Mark has laid out the, the, the stories in such a way that they sort of were hard-hitting right at the beginning. We, we got right into the power ministry of Jesus. Um, without a whole lot of background it was just these were the things that he was doing and then the teaching sort of comes into it afterwards where where matthew we get a lot of jesus teaching and then um, we we see it sort of in the opposite manner because in matthew remember we had the sermon on the mount we had three chapters of jesus whole is is you know foundational teaching followed by uh, ministry backing it up mark came out with a ministry now we're teaching and, and in fact starting in the next chapter um, we'll see where uh, Jesus then is being called by his disciples teacher all the time because he's taking them in and he's now rather than than sort of what he's been doing with the crowds that's that period in in uh, in time when he really begins to train the disciples and so we'll we'll see some of that as we move into um, next week and we've been dealing with uh, in the last chapter to the conditions of hardened hearts and, and how people have hard hearts. And we've even seen it in, in the disciples, where their, their hearts are hard. But in a different way than we've seen in the Pharisees and in the religious leaders who, who are so closed down that they've just chosen not to believe, and that's the struggle. Um, with the disciples, they're engaged in the, in the same sort of struggle we have, that, that living in a uh, sin-soaked world, um, our hearts get hard. And we quickly get selfish, um, we, we, we make it about ourselves all the time. We, we have all this stuff happen. We, we have good intent, but, uh, but we struggle. And, and we've seen and we talked about last week that the answer to a hardened heart is faith in Christ. It's the only answer. He's, he's the only way that our hearts can be softened to uh, begin to move into the kind of relationship with God and with others that he intended for us. So... Um, we, we've been looking at this whole process, and, and Mark lays out uh, chapter 8, again, with some great stories of, of miracles and things that are happening, and, and I think they're laid out uh, very well to present his case in, in this whole process, dealing with hardened hearts and faith in Christ to overcome it. So let's look at Mark um, chapter 8 together, 38 verses. Um, I'm going to read it. You can read along in your Bibles, whatever translation you may have, or you can read it in the Bibles in the pew if you'd like, or you can follow along in the notes because they're in there, or you can just listen to my soothing tones. 
Mark chapter 8. Wouldn't you like to have a voice, uh, voice like that guy um, uh, that did Darth Vader? Is it James Earl Jones and the CN? Wouldn't it be great to have a voice like that? Because yeah, if, 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 seriously, if, if, you, if there was a pastor that had a voice like that, you'd be going just to listen to him. Ooh, listen to that. During those days. I can't do it. Mark 8, 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Now remember, they've already done this once. Sorry, I don't like to break this up too much, but this isn't the first feeding. They've already done it. But it was the first instance of him saying that the hearts were hardened. So the question they asked, where are we going to get enough bread, is, is interesting. Because they, they know what he can do. All right. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got back into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? There's the theme. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 
And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, as I said, in these last few chapters, um, Mark has been presenting the fact that the answer for hardened hearts um, is, is faith in Christ. And, and um, hearts are hardened at different levels. And, and that um, his disciples, he kept saying, are your hearts so hardened? Because they, they, were, they were witnessing the miracles and yet couldn't take it in. Um, they, they, they were having trouble adjusting to this huge paradigm shift. And, and remember now, Jesus is beginning to teach them there at the end of the chapter, and he's saying things to them like, you know, you're gonna, if you want to follow me, you've got to lay down your life. And, 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 you know, if you want to find your life, you're going to lose it and take up your cross. And he's telling them all these things. And he, very plainly, he's saying, I'm going to go to the cross. He's letting them know this will happen. And they, they, they can't receive it. They can't take it in. What's the struggle they have? They're so ready for God to do what they've been told he was going to do, which is he was going to come and he was going to set up the kingdom back to the way it was during the time of David. And, and they're looking for this, this glorious kingdom in a political sense in their day and age. And, and when Jesus comes and he begins to speak and they see in him, uh, they, they get who he is and they see his miracles, they're convinced that he's about to set up this kingdom because that's their paradigm. That's what they're expecting. And when he begins to tell them, no, I'm, I'm not, this is what's going to happen, to the point where Peter says, he, Peter I mean, think about the tenacity or the, the boldness, if you would, or the arrogance to, to rebuke the Son of God. He, already, he knew who he was. Well, you're the Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was supposed to come. That's what that answer he gave Jesus was in that chapter. And then all of a sudden he starts telling him what to do. Oh, no, no, you can't do it that way. You've got to do it the way we want you to do it which is what the Pharisees wanted, only with harder hearts. Do you get it? They, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't buy into it, but it's, it's a condition of their hearts. But the disciples were struggling because of what Jesus was doing. See, all this stuff, we don't change much. Um, I've been telling you, as we read through the Gospels, we have to be careful of getting religious because we can become just like the Pharisees. In fact, we have it all over us in lots of different ways. But, but we have to know that we, we fight this hardened heart stuff. That it's easy for us to be selfish. It's easy for us to get stuck into wanting it our own way. And, and, and what we do is we take that, though, and over time we learn how to sort of make it look pretty. And, and we do it in sort of a religious covering, which is, which is terrible. Um, and, and it's what the Pharisees were doing. And so it, we just have to be so cautious of of where we're going, and, and remembering all the time that, that because we live in a fallen world, uh, and ha- even with faith in Christ, knowing who He is and that He's changing us, we still struggle. Because we still sin. We still rely on ourselves rather than God. We still have all those things in the, in the mix. And we have to know that, that our condition is, is that we have hardened hearts. 
and, and uh, you know, praying that as we move through that, that Jesus is softening them all along and he's working in us. And, and hopefully your hearts are softer now than when the process started, but, but, uh, but ever softening. I think if you think about it, you'd, you'd see that, that there's a lot of areas that your heart has been greatly softened from where it was. And, and we tend to run in extremes. Um, maybe I do because of my, my personality. Um, and, and some of you would know that personality. Uh, <laughs> but, but um, you know, we, we get a hold of something and sometimes we, we run to extremes with it. And, and, and then we, it's quick in extremes to become religious instead of relationship. And then hopefully it, it begins to smooth back out into looking for the heart of God and, and asking God, you know, look, create a new heart in me, God. Soften my heart. Break my heart for, with the things that break yours, God. Continue to move in me, work in me. Let me see people the way that you do. Let me, let me see situations the way that you do. Help me to, to not just see them for how they impact me, but, but let me see them with a bigger picture, a bigger perspective. Don't let it always be about me, Lord, and about my focus. and about. But, but God, I want to see it the way that you do. I, I, I need to have my heart softened and changed. And, and the Spirit of God is working on us over time to do that. And, 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 and so we have the disciples who are, who are struggling, but they're a picture of us. He's struggling and, and, and growing and knowing that Jesus is Jesus and, and moving along. And then we see in comparison the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, whose hearts are so hardened that they, ref, they, they, they refuse to accept who Christ is. And, and then we, we see that in comparison, like last week, to the, to the um, pagan woman, for lack of a better term, the, the Syrophoenician woman, the Gentile woman, who came to Christ begging for her, him to heal uh, uh, and, and to come to her aid, and, and the child was, was uh, demon-possessed. And, and yet she came, and re- remember, she had no, no ground to stand on. She, she didn't have Abraham as a father uh, to, to try and claim that sort of heritage. She didn't come in talking about the law. She, she just came in with hope in Christ and said, you know, if they don't want it, I do. Remember that picture of the, the dogs and the table and the crumbs and feeding the children and God is laying out this banquet for the children of Israel and they're basically saying, I don't want it. That's not what we want. We, we wanted fried chicken and you you gave us prime rib and we refused to eat it i i I mean that's sort of how it works and and we saw that last week and it continues this week and and so uh you know she just came and hoped in his grace she had faith she knew who he was she came in faith and hoped in his grace and and that's how we're supposed to live this thing i mean that's a picture of a heart that that comes to jesus and lives in jesus and so, so he's, he's, remember, he's come to straighten everything out. And, and to do so, he has, to, he has to pull apart the established religious order because they've missed it. And he has to say, no, that's not it. Now, the invitation to them is always there to come. The, the invitation from God, he kept his promise. And, and the invitation is given to his covenant people, Israel, chosen people. And I, I said to you, why, why do we call them chosen uh, in the past, and they were chosen for a mission to tell the world that there is one true God. 
and, 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 and that we are to live in relationship with him, and yet it became this thing of rules and regulations that no one could get into. And Jesus comes and in their sight performs miracles and, and, and teaches God's word uh, to them and, and demonstrates his compassion and says, this is what God is like. And they say, we don't want that. That's not what we're looking for. Even the disciples struggling with the, the way events are turning because now Jesus is going to tell them, I'm going to the cross. And they, they fight it till the end. They, they quit saying anything because of the stern rebuke that Peter got. But they still, still struggle. They want the kingdom. They want it restored. They want it now. And, and it's not how it comes. And so all of this is happening. And, and um, this, this idea of faith in Christ, now Mark brings it to the forefront in these new, new set of stories. In, in verses 1 through 13 of Mark 8, it's the feeding of the 4,000. Fish sandwiches again. I've told you that, that I read the scripture and I'm convinced that Jesus' favorite meal is a fish sandwich. Because when he's got a lot of company, that's what he serves. You look at it, everywhere you see it, fish sandwich time. So, uh, uh, there they go. And, and in that little story, again, we see, first off, the compassion that Jesus had, which was a stark contrast to the Pharisees who could care less about people. Remember, we keep seeing story after story, they just don't care about anybody. That's, they care about themselves. And, and Jesus is saying, well, we can't send these people away. They've been watching, they've been here for several days, they're hungry, they won't make it home. We've got to feed them. And, and even the disciples, and remember, the, again, the disciples are tired. And you know, how do we feed them? And they, you know, they, they, even though it's already happened, they, I, they just can't, we don't have enough bread. And, and I, I imagine when Jesus is doing this again, he's, he's hoping that this time their hearts will soften. Let me, let me show them again what compassion looks like. Let me show them again what the love of God looks like. Let me show everyone how much God cares about them, that he cares. Do you get that God cares that these people didn't have, hadn't been fed and they wouldn't make it home without a meal, and he provides a meal. He provides the best fish sandwich they probably ever had. Because, you know, God making bread and fish on the spot, it's got to be good. I'm, I'm thinking that's our first meal when we get to heaven. I'm not sure. Come on in. Here's your fish sandwich. Thanks. Tartar sauce? What? <laughs> you won't need any. Okay. Um, so this it, it just it's a pointing of uh, to the fact again that as he demonstrates not only his compassion but um, the miracle of providing provision, bread. Uh, you know, God's provided bread for his people, and, and he does it. Uh, it. It demonstrates his power as well. And the disciples have to see that again. And now come the Pharisees into the picture in verse 11. And they demand from Jesus a sign from heaven. Now, here's, here's the thing. They've, they've, they've witnessed countless miracles. Countless. Um, you know, we're recording, what gets recorded here is for our benefit, that we don't get at all. They've witnessed countless miracles. And, and they've yet to believe, and they're coming now as a test. And Jesus said, no. If, if, if you were going to believe, you'd have believed already. If, 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 but your hearts are so hardened, it wouldn't matter what I would do, you would discount it. 
Do you, do you, do you get that? That, that there, people can get to a place that no matter what God does, and it happens now, I see it all the time. People will be in a situation, a miracle will fall on them out of the grace of God, crash into their lives, and they'll say something like, well, that was quite a coincidence. And you, you're like, What? Yeah, it's amazing how that worked out. Not, and they don't, they don't want to think it. And you say, well, no, that was God. Oh, no. And you're like, how can you miss that? And yet they miss it all the time. We discount it. And, and, and the Pharisees were like that. You know, it could have been written in the sky, and they'd have written it off as a, as a funny cloud day. It, it just didn't matter. And so he said, no more. There's been plenty for you. There's enough here. Look, see. It's not that they weren't, and, and they were always invited and welcome. But he, he had given it to them and they had refused it. He had set the table and they'd said no. He, he'd given them prime rib and they, they wanted fried chicken. They refused to eat the prime rib. And so now the, the crumbs were, were coming for the rest of us, which is more than we need. Because the crumbs off of God's table are better than, than anything. And, and so here it comes. And... And here's a picture of him then feeding a hungry crowd who doesn't say no. They take it all. And were satisfied. That means they ate a lot. Have you ever watched hungry people eat? They eat good. They usually don't feel good afterwards, but they eat good when they're hungry. We used to go on a mission trip sometime and we would take a group of people groups of people to eat wherever we could. We'd, we'd go and feed them. We'd, we'd do all that stuff. Especially if we were teaching them, we knew just like this. If we didn't feed them, they'd quit listening. Um, they would. Their, their attention would go off to nothing. And so we would always make arrangements and bring big rice and, and, and whatever we could buy locally. and We'd feed everybody. One time we were, we were doing a little seminar. That's when I was in Cuba. And um, we had about, I don't know, 25, 30 liters in there. And, and it, it came to lunchtime. And so, okay, we'll take them to the restaurant and feed them lunch. And it was a treat for them, and, and uh, it was fine. And the restaurant there was cheap. And it's usually like three bucks a person, four bucks a person, you know, you get a meal. And they sit down, they start to order. They're ordering like three and four meals. <laughs> I'm like, really? They're going to eat that? Man, they just sat there and snacked. It was like an event. <laughs> but they were hungry. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And God bless them. But, but get when he says they were satisfied, hungry people, they hadn't eaten for a few days, they snacked. So, so imagine what, what took place. All right, you have to have that in your mind to get the rest of the story. And so Jesus just says no, because their hearts are so hardened by their own religiosity, that's not going to do it anymore. Signs, miracles aren't going to sway them. It's not going to do it. They're just they're going to write it off. And then in verses 14 through 21, we have this idea of the, the Pharisees, the, the disciples having this discussion because Jesus warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees. And, 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 and what he's saying is that this, this yeast, this teaching of the Pharisees that has taken uh, center stage, which is all about externals and not about internals. He, he said you have to avoid it. See, it's, it's corrupting everything. And yet the disciples are still struggling with it because they can't get it because of the whole paradigm shift, they're so overwhelmed that they begin to talk about, well, he's upset with us because we didn't bring any bread. Now, uh, try and imagine, they just fed 4,000 men plus women and children, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. 
They've done that twice from a few loaves. And they've got a loaf with them. They do have a loaf. Jesus can easily make that loaf whatever they need. They ought to get that by now. And yet they think, you know, he's mad because we didn't bring bread. And, he, and I, I, this is one of those times where I'm sure Jesus goes, Oy vey. That's just in my mind. Now, that's not scripture. But that's my thought. <sighs> just a deep sigh. And he, he's like, don't you get it? Don't, don't you see? Uh, and, and that, that this, this, this yeast of the Pharisees, this, this yeast of, uh, uh, that Herod, remember Herod, see, he, 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 he had this thing with John the Baptist because he liked having him around um, be, because at some level he knew he was a holy man. But see, his belief wasn't faith. And so that didn't work. The, the Pharisees believe that, that God is God, but they don't have faith. And, and when he comes, they miss him completely because he's, he's not moving along against, like their rules and regulations. And so they reject him. That's the, that's the teaching, the false teaching that Jesus warns his guys about. You've got to break free from that. You're, you're struggling with these hard hearts. You've got to soften your hearts and see that, that the, the message is different. I've come and I'm introducing the kingdom of God. I'm here and, and I've got to go to the cross. And, and this is inaugurates the kingdom. And then I'm going to come back. And, and they're like, well, that can't be, well, that's not what we're expecting. And he's like, you can't let what you've been taught to, to just keep you from moving in faith towards me and, and to know what I'm talking about and to, to receive the life that I have for you. Don't allow this yeast to, to spread throughout your life and, and ruin you in, in the idea of a relationship with a living God, not based on rules and, and performance, but based on relationship and grace. And, and he, they have to get this. And, and so he, he turns his concentration to them. And, and there, there's this little thing, this, this other story about the blind guy. And I think it's there. On, uh, it's a great story um, in, in 22 through 26. Um, because he has to, they have to see. See, and they're not seeing. The, the disciples are clinging on to what's familiar, even though it's not good. We do the same thing. We have this history of clinging on to the familiar, even though it's not good, because it's familiar. And so Mark introduces this story now about a blind guy. And again, we got Jesus spitting, which I think is funny. Uh, and this time he spits on the guy's eyes. Again, if you spit on somebody's eyes, they better see. <laughs> or else they're just going to be upset with you. What did you do? Uh, can you see? Anyway, he spits on the guy's eyes takes him away, and he says, can you see anything? And he says, well, I see, but it's like, tree, you know, people look like trees moving around. See, he could see a little, but it wasn't done. And so Jesus prayed for him some more, and then he could see completely. See, I think it's a, it's a miracle, and it talks about how things happen, and not always happen at once. And, but, but I think it's also a picture of, of how faith in Christ soften our hearts. See, it starts, and we sort of get a little picture, and then over time, we get a bigger picture. And it becomes more focused. As our hearts are softened, the, the, who Jesus is comes into a, a greater focus. And, and so it's this process of, of development that happens in our life with faith in Christ leading the way. Um, and, and, and so the disciples, even though their hearts were hardened, they saw, but they didn't see clearly as they would. Uh, and, and that's part of the process. And you read about that throughout the course of their lives. We'll read about it in the book of Acts. We'll see how their lives are impacted over time and, and, and what happens in the process.
And then in 27 on, um, we get to this concept, well, okay, if it's faith, then why is it faith in Jesus? And ultimately, it's because Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the Christ. And, and when we put our faith in Him, we're in relationship with the one living and true God. And just like the blind man, at first we may not see as clearly as we will, but we're in the process of seeing clearly as we, as we grow and trust in Jesus. And uh, as we, we respond in faith to Him, our hardened hearts are softened, hopefully. But what we have to be careful of is we don't slip into the traps of the Pharisees and just become religious, critical, judgmental, no way for people to get to God, people. We have to be careful of that all the time. It's, it's faith in, in Christ alone that can transform the hardened heart. And, and then he, he says, you know what, if, you, if you're going to come after me, you've got you, to um, take up your cross. You, you've got to lay down your life and to, to find life. And you've got to take up your cross and follow him. And, and um, you know, let me just read you those verses because I, I think there's, there's something critical here and then I'll close. If anyone to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And, and um, so I think that's, that's important. Denying ourselves, first off, that's, that's being unselfish. That's, that's the beginning struggle. I think even most of us come into this whole deal and it's all about us. I, even with the disciples following after Jesus, they left a lot, but, but initially it was about what was in it for them. And he has to tell them that's not how it works. It's not about being the greatest. It's about being the servant. Do you get the, the shift? And we have to get there. That, that, what does that look like in our hearts? And then taking up our cross. See, the, Denying ourselves is sort of the negative. Taking up the cross is a positive because that's where you know, our cross is, to me, our cross is the will of God in our lives. It's what he wants us to do. For, for Jesus, his cross, the will of God for Jesus was, was a cross that, that took away our sin. But, but our cross to bear is our cross. What we pick up is his will in our lives. Are we willing to do that? Uh, will we deny ourselves and take up his will, or will we try and do our own stuff and make it look religious, which is what the other thing is? And follow him. Will we, will we continue to press on and press in? That's, the, that's the, the movement in chapter 8, and, and we're going to see the, the teaching detailed more in chapter 9. And we're, we move into the, the last week of Jesus' life pretty quick. Um, the, the, almost the back half of the book of Mark is about that last week. And so um, we'll be seeing that again quickly. All right, that's enough for chapter 8. Um, if you're watching by video, we're glad that you did. If you're up in Williston, uh, Scotty and Pam will pray for you. Um, we're going to do prayer requests here. If you need anything, if you're somewhere else and watching, you can call us or write us. Thank you for watching. And uh, we'll see you soon. Prayer requests, guys, if you have them, please pass them up to me. And I will put my glasses on and pray for you.